felt special to have that place with the expanse of Indian Creek to gaze across, knowing we'd leave behind an experience that others could enjoy. There's greed and indulgence in new routes, but there's also a gift to future climbers that will bask in their own way, a win-win. Around this time, since we were always armed with drills, we'd be sure to fix dangerous bolts when we came across them or someone told us about them. One time when we were on the South Six Shooter, Dane pulled out a bolt with his bare hands. This sandstone was often bomber. The nuance of placing bolts was far from straightforward. Welcome to episode six of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. From the climbing zine, I am Luke Mihaw. Bolting is a, a big part of this chapter, this section of the book of the desert, the book I'm reading from for this season of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. And just want to give a quick shout out to the American Safe Climbing Association. I've been replacing bolts with them for well over a decade, and they always provide the hardware and they always make sure that we know what we're doing as bolt replacers. And in the desert, in um, the creek, I've had the most um, tricky situations of, of placing bolts. The sandstone is quite bomber in certain places, but it varies significantly. And sometimes you place a bolt and um, your hole is uh, expanded or the rock is no good and it's not good enough to take a bolt. That's something that's never going to happen on granite. Could happen on limestone a bit, but sandstone especially has tested my patience and knowledge the most. And so if you appreciate, you know, the bolts have really been, there's been a lot of bolt replacement in the last decade in the creek. If you clip one of those bolts at an anchor and you say, wow, that looks like a great anchor. No, that was from a volunteer um, that spent their time when they could have been climbing to replace an anchor. So if you're in the mood, throw uh, Aska a few bucks. They have, uh, I think they have a new way to donate on their website or just uh, mail them a check the old fashioned way. Once a year, they do a big fundraiser. I think Planet Granite throws down a bunch of dough and matches. Um, so look for that. I'll leave a note in the show notes. I'll leave a link down there, along with the link to get something from the climbing zine, as I start off most podcasts by saying that's the best way to support the climbing zine and this podcast. Let's get into it. Episode six. felt special to have that place with the expanse of Indian Creek to gaze across, knowing we'd leave behind an experience. We had some unfinished business before we embarked on developing this new wall, way, way back in the forgotten corner of this land we call Indian Creek. There was another wall, the Dove Creek Wall, that we've been developing in the main canyon. One day, while climbing the classic Anunnaki at the Optimeter Wall, I was glancing across the canyon, trying to get a bigger picture, in a crack caught my eye. It was in the perfect light to be seen, and I rallied a crew of people, which included my younger brother, who was visiting at the time. My brother Clint lives in New York City and works as a lawyer in Manhattan. A dirtbag, he is not. However, he's one of those human beings that seems to be able to engage and get along with just about anybody. On the drive into the canyon from Durango, he remarked, this will be the longest I've ever gone without a shower. Three days! I was more than happy to provide this opportunity for my bro and thought about our last adventure together. 
We'd gotten lost on a routine hike in Durango, climbing a popular 12,000-foot something peak, then promptly getting immersed in a thick fog, veering off the trail, and then wandering down a drainage for six hours. Luckily, we emerged onto a highway seven hours after we separated from the group, and the story became our greatest adventure together. And luckily, not that time we got hypothermia. It was the most humbling outdoor experience I've had to date, and I was beyond proud of my brother for the mental tenacity and physical prowess he displayed during that epic. But that light, that crack, it shines so perfectly for that moment, it begged us to go check it out. Seeing a crack from afar usually means it's wide. You've got to see it up close to really get to know what's going on there. Indeed, the crack up high was wide, but the finish, it was so thin you couldn't even fit a ruler into it. It was a beauty, and it had never been climbed. There were other unclimbed cracks as well, and I vowed to return. Not long after my brother set his personal record for not showering, we began establishing this area. The zone split a fracture in the interest of our crew. On busy weekends, we'd have up to 20 friends at a campsite. Usually only half the folks were willing to do the necessary dirty work that a new wall demanded. The other half wondered if we'd lost our damn minds. We wanted to do it right, so we were cleaning loose blocks, scrubbing the sand off with brushes, doing trail work. Basically, the wall turned into a job site. This repelled some of our friends, especially the ones who'd driven hours and hours to get there and dreamed of climbing perfect splitter cracks. Plus, this wall had quite an odd distinction. Poison ivy grew in one section along the trail, the only place I'd ever seen cultivate that evil weed in all of Indian Creek. My friend Sean even started calling it the poison ivy wall. He did not want this endeavor to catch on. Sean Matasavage is another one of my best friends, and I could write another book about our adventures together. But alas, we obviously didn't share the stoke for this particular aspect of climbing. Around this time, an old friend from the past, one who I honestly thought I'd never see again, started coming back on the scene. Dane Molinero was one of my first climbing homies in Colorado. We'd worked together in various restaurants. We lived together and climbed together. We called him the idea man because he was always coming up with random business ideas that he never followed through on. He was one of my favorite people to climb with back in the day, but he got out of climbing for a long time, maybe a decade or so. Amazingly, we just picked up right where we left off. Climbing is special like that. And equally as important, Dane was down with the Dove Creek wall and all the work that needed to be done. He loved it. What is hard to describe about Dane is his sense of humor. I think he could have been a stream-of-consciousness stand-up comedian. Recently, when we were out in Indian Creek together, I decided to write down all his funny one-liners for a day. Here they are. Canadians are so nice. They all seem like serial killers. Ah, it's nice like these. I wish I had a V-neck shirt. Y'all got some of that Colorado wildflower? Did you know that the taco has replaced the hot dog as America's number one food? Ooh, this heel-toe is turning me on. Did you know that there's a rising rate of diabetes in raccoons? Oh man, I gotta see if I have energy in my getaway sticks. If I had to take a Wu-Tang test, I'd fail miserably. He loves Wu-Tang. And that was just one day. There's a certain art to enjoying the process with new roots, of being in the moment, and becoming one with the choss and the dirt. Dane was ideal company for this. So was Dave. Not the all-American mountain guy Dave I wrote about earlier, 
But Climber Dave from Telluride, as they called him. Or Dimple Dave. Or 514 Gene. Or Nickname Dave. If there was anyone who was down for the cause in Indian Creek, it was Dave Marsanowski. He embodied the essence of a stoked, positive climber. And he loved new routes. He had caught the first ascent bug in the creek way before I ever had, and thus was more knowledgeable about the ins and outs of new route development. Despite the groans from my weekend creek friends, the blue-collar experience of developing a wall was absolute paradise to me, even if the work was grueling and the challenges to remain safe were often overwhelming. The Dove Creek Wall was located next to these giant forming arches, giving the zone a feeling of protection. Perhaps the ancestral Puebloans once stood here as well and gathered water. There was more moisture here than any of the places I've been in the creek, hence the poison ivy. Okay, stop saying poison ivy, dude. No one is going to want to go there. But hey, my point is not to entice, but rather to describe. The first day of developing, we established two 510s right next to each other. And then immediately, I desired to go look at that line that initially attracted me to the wall. Upon further inspection, I decided the line still looked prime, unique, and desirable. At the bottom... It was like a shrinking exclamation point. But there was a massive detached block some 40 feet up, where it looked like the route eased up in difficulty. The block was about 8 feet tall and 4 feet across. The cracks above, below, and to the side indicated a climber's worst fear, that this section was no longer part of the wall. It was simply resting there, unattached. I wrestled in my mind with the possible outcome. I could climb up to this block, and I could pull it off, surely killing myself or the belayer, or both. Indeed, it would be worse to kill one's belayer with a loose bock than die oneself. The scenario tormented me. Was this worth it? And did I have the willpower to walk away if I weighed the options and decided the risk was not worth it? When I was younger, I was led by the energy of a 20-something. I did some stupid things, and I shouldn't be alive today because of it. Nowadays, I like to think I thoroughly analyze the situation before committing. This one was tough. I wanted it so badly. But was that wanting stronger than sound reasoning? In the end, I decided that I'd go up there and just see how it looked. Since I'd just belayed Dave on one of those 510s we'd established, it was my turn on the sharp end. I carefully aided the beginning. It seemed impossible to free climb. Yet the line between impossible and possible is very narrow. If I was placing cams in the crack, surely somebody, if not me, could put their fingertips in there. I was worried about the big detached block above, not thinking about future free climbing efforts, and I was just enjoying myself, venturing into a crack that had never seen the touch of human hands, with Dave patiently belaying me and stoked on the moment. I approached the block, and it was bigger than me, probably weighed a ton. I do what climbers do. I banged against it with a hammer to see if it was hollow. A thud with zero resonation confirmed it was solid. It was too big to fail, was what I yelled down to Dave, and I 99.9% believed what I was saying. Soon enough, I jammed my hands and feet into it and mantled on top. It wasn't going anywhere anytime soon, and thus it was destined to be part of this new climb. I climbed another 20 feet or so and then drilled two bolts as an anchor. The big question was answered. The block would stay. Soon, we had a top rope set up to play around on for the rest of the day. 
This episode is sponsored by Osprey. Osprey and the climbing zine share the same backyard. Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home with Osprey here in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado. And to find out more, visit osprey.com. This episode is also sponsored by Black Diamond. Another longtime sponsor of the climbing zine, Black Diamond is all about climbing, skiing, and mountains. And, of course, the desert. Black Diamond camelots are an essential ingredient for heading up any splitter. From the new 7 and 8 C4s to the new Z4s, you can never have too many camelots in the creek. But once your Creek 50 backpack fills up, might as well hand the rest of the rack to your buddy to carry up. To find out more, visit blackdiamondequipment.com. When a new climb goes up, there is a question of naming. Some believe a climb should not have a name until it has been free climbed. After all, it is the free ascent that then establishes the climb as a route. I really enjoy naming climbs, and it's nice to have a reference to what you're talking about. I also believe a climb names itself in many ways, from a feature or a certain experience. We'd name this area the Dove Creek Wall after a small rural town in western Colorado, right on the border of Utah one of the few places for amenities as we drove from Durango to the creek. The town is blue-collar with a dose of redneck. The town was known for growing beans, and they called themselves the pinto bean capital of the world. In addition to their beans, we knew it for the Superette, a gas station-slash-supermarket-slash-fried-food restaurant. At the Superette, there was an old lady who had a mustache, who naturally everyone knew of as the Mustache Lady. I can't remember exactly when I thought of it, perhaps on the drive back but I knew this climb would be called the Superette Crack. The name also obviously referenced Super Crack, which is one of the first climbs done in Indian Creek, and still to this day, one of the most popular. The Dove Creek Wall provided a mere seven routes, and we milked that experience for all it was worth. We returned again and again. I was working on free climbing Superette Crack, and Tim led the efforts to improve the trail. It felt like a sanctuary, a special place, like a child's fort or something. It felt special to have that space with the expanse of Indian Creek to gaze across, knowing we'd leave behind an experience that others could enjoy. There's the greed and indulgence in new routes, but there's also a gift for future climbers that will bask in it in their own way, a win-win. Around this time, since we were always armed with drills, we'd be sure to fix dangerous bolts when we came across them or someone told us about them. One time, when we were on the South Six Shooter, Dane pulled a bolt out with his bare hands. This sandstone was often bomber. The nuance of placing bolts was far from straightforward. It seemed like this was the land's way of enforcing karma. One day, we would discover something new for ourselves, and the next day, we'd climb a route from the past that begged to be fixed. In doing so, we protected our fellow human beings from unnecessary risks, such as a bolt pulling, which surely would end up in a major injury or loss of life. The more I placed bolts, the more I learned how important the attention to detail was. The bolts that became sketchy were ones that had constant force applied to them, usually while top roping, or in the case of the South Six Shooter bolt, 
while repelling. One day, a friend told us she was climbing Anunnaki the previous weekend and noticed one of the anchor bolts was loose. In fact, she was able to pull it out with her bare hand. Obviously, this freaked her out. She didn't have a wrench, so she simply tightened the bolt with her hand and hoped for the best. After she told us this, we knew we had to rally over to Anunnaki to drill a new bolt and remove the sketchy one. We weren't the only suitors of Anunnaki. There were already five or six folks waiting in line to lead it. It's just one of those climbs that everyone has to do for good reason. The climb itself is worthy, a gently overhanging crack that formed the shape of a lightning bolt. The crack happens to be on this massive pillar that created one of the most special and inviting perches in all of Indian Creek. A large crew can hang out there and watch the show of whoever is on the climb. Match an uber-classic climb with an epic hang, and you got the stuff dreams are made of in the desert. If these walls could talk, they would tell you they've also seen some stupid shit. Suitors are often ill-prepared. They often simply don't have the chops required to get on this rig. Perhaps the beauty stokes the ego, or perhaps it is the 12-minus grade that was once proposed. The scene at Anunnaki often turns into this. Competent climbers below have to endure an overstoker hanging from piece to piece, unaware that they should just have opted for a lap on top rope to work on their skills. Now, I'm not saying this technique isn't good for developing skills itself, but that is best left when there's no one around sitting waiting in the queue. Climbing etiquette is delicate, though, and sometimes that pesky ego gets in the way. When we were at Dove Creek, we could always hear what was going on at Anunnaki. Because of those massive forming arches and the bend in the canyon, there was a giant echo. They could hear us trundling rocks and shouting the nonsense that climbers shout when they're excited. And we could hear people cheering on one another for the sin on Anunnaki. One day, we heard a couple of bros having a go at it. Ooh! One bro yelled across the canyon. It sounded like normal climber banter and yelling, and we just decided someone must be giving Anunnaki a lead. Dude, come on, man, we heard. Bro, do you even, like, have me? We looked over, and the climber was a mere five feet off the ground, and already he was going into meltdown mode. A wobbler, as we call it in the business. I'm totally juicing off this thing, bro. What the fuck, bro? The bros were obviously not doing well. This yelling reverberated so loudly we could hear exactly what they were saying. Juicing off this thing, we said to ourselves? What the fuck does that mean? Well, as I thought about it further, you could call this man's climbing, kind of like mansplaining, bro language. Something the guy probably invented on the fly as he got his ego checked out when he juiced out of some perfect hand jams. On this particular day, as we stepped to Anunnaki and hoped to fix the anchors, we were prepared for a backlash. Basically, we were asking to cut in line and climb it. But all 37 people waiting in the queue saw the value in us fixing the anchors. Most modern climbers aren't trained in the craft of placing bolts and maintaining anchors, but everyone seems to get it. In 30 minutes, we climbed it, removed the sketchy bolt, and replaced it with a new one. I replaced it with a five-piece expansion bolt. Later on, I learned that glue-in bolts are the best for this type of situation. After all, the glue is stronger than the rock itself, 
and gluon bolts can handle forces from multitude of directions. For then, though, we'd done our good deed for the day, and it was time to head back over to the Dove Creek Wall. That was episode six of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. I'm reading from the desert. Something that I I talk a little bit later in the book is uh, root naming and how we name our roots. And I'm going to be doing a follow-up conversation uh, with Mario Stanley of the Sends and Suffer podcast. We're going to be talking about, he's a root developer out of Texas, and we're going to be kind of talking about root names. Um, Thinking back to the Dove Creek Wall, we named it after the Super Rat was this this just gas station that has just kind of (laughs) bad fried food, but it's also like one of the only places to eat in between. And um, since we named that wall, I've kind of had my, cha- my feelings have kind of changed, um, but that doesn't really matter. It was just kind of a goofy, goofy wall, but it was before the Trump era. And like now I just avoid that place because you go into this place, no one's wearing masks and there's Trump signs and shit all over this town. So probably wouldn't have memorialized the town in a wall in the creek as we did but uh it is what it is um it's it's already called the dove creek wall and uh yeah if you need some uh, some good fried food and you're going through going through dove creek stop by see the mustache lady and uh, pick up some fried food beats from this episode we're from devin dabney you can check him out as Deuces Hip Hop on the Gram, Spotify, other platforms. Hope you're digging his addition to this this season. We're really stoked to have his wonderful music. And we're stoked to have Chad Rich as our digital editor and producer. Signing off from Durango, Colorado, it's Luke Mihal. Peace. Peace.